Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Ogsbury, Executive Director of WGA. Today's episode is the third in a series about Oregon Governor Kate Brown's initiative to create an electric vehicles roadmap for the West. Through this chair initiative of Governor Brown, WGA is promoting enhanced planning, siting, and coordination of electric vehicle infrastructure across our region. Today's episode focuses on the economic development potential of broader electric vehicle deployment in the West. Electric vehicles, or EVs, represent more than just a mode of transportation. The expanded use of EVs and charging stations offers significant economic opportunities. States are leveraging EV charging infrastructure to drive tourism and are supporting policies to advance competitive EV production and sales. WGA policy advisor Kevin Moss spoke with Scott Bricker, the interim vice president of destination development at Travel Oregon, and Jim Chen, vice president of public policy at Rivian, to learn more about how a vast range of economic actors, from small communities to large manufacturers, can tap into the EV market to expand economic growth. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third Out West episode focused on electric vehicles. My name is Kevin Moss. I'm a policy advisor here at the Western Governors Association. I'm very excited today to be talking to Scott Bricker. Scott is the interim vice president of destination development for Travel Oregon. Scott, how are you today? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So, Scott, we're we're talking economic development today. So, excited to hear about some of your tourism and economic experience in that arena, but promoting tourism to rural communities is a, is a priority for many Western governors and states, not just Governor Brown. I was hoping you could give our audience just a, you know, sort of a general overview of how Travel Oregon promotes visitation to and then economic development in various communities around Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. Travel Oregon really works as the leader of Oregon's tourism industry, and we try and support livability and health of communities across the state through economic development of tourism. So we really believe and care in communities and community development. And one of the critical aspects of tourism is that as a community, you embrace who you are and what you have to offer. And then you try and develop those things, embellish those things, and also make it sustainable for the locals. So we have people from Oregon, people from outside of Oregon coming and exploring. We know that there are impacts of natural resources and there are other impacts like climate impacts. And so tourism agencies are really looking at how can we support those issues? How can we make the destination sustainable to accept visitors? And how can we deal with things like climate change? And that's where transportation and specifically EVs come into play. We know that electric vehicles are something that's popular and growing. We know that there are challenges from a visitation standpoint to using electric vehicles. And some of those are just ensuring that there will be places to charge your vehicle. You know, if a travel trip is 50 miles or more away from your home, it depends on what the range is of your vehicle, but you definitely need to have places to charge. So that is why back in 2013 or so, Travel Oregon started working on some EV projects supporting getting EV stations put in, but also marketing what was out there and really trying to be a partner in in that process. But I do think that tourism organizations need to be serious about 
climate change, and this is one way. Seems like there's a lot of natural opportunities to leverage those various priorities. And on the EVs front, I think what I'm curious to, to learn more about is the fact that Travel Oregon has helped support the creation of what are known as electric byways through portions of Oregon. So I'd love to hear about the creation of those, where they're located, and then any knock-on effects with economic development or tourism in those communities that are near the byway and any sort of benefits that they may have derived from that infrastructure. Yeah, well, I'll just reiterate the fact that when you are supporting tourism development, that you really need to have an offering before you can market that offering. So it's a really critical first step, which is taking stock of who you are, what you have to offer today. And then if you're trying to offer something specific that you understand what that is, and then you bolster that infrastructure if needed. And then once you have it really dialed in and designed, then you can start marketing it. So the idea of creating electric byways has to be preceded by, are there enough charging stations? Is there the infrastructure in place? So that is, from a development standpoint, the lens that we look at. In 2014, Travel Oregon partnered with ODOT to help position fast charging stations near tourism-facing businesses along the West Coast Electric Highway. And then uh, in 2015, we launched six Oregon electric byways that are optimized routes that feature charging stations every 25 to 50 miles. And those are available on the map brochure plus at TravelOregon.com. If you search for electric, electric byways, you'll be able to find them pretty easily. And we have a number of itineraries in there. And even after that, in 2017, Travel Oregon partnered with Forth. Uh, the nonprofit organization that deals with electric vehicles and, and EV power to create an electric vehicle charging station rebate program where we provided up to $5,000 in rebates for tourism businesses to install either level two or, or DC fast charging stations that would be available to the public. Yeah, so there was a partnership between different agencies and nonprofits to ensure that stations were in place. And then we worked with our marketing department, our sales teams, to design itineraries that would appeal to the public and that we could sell to the international market as well. I feel like that specific itinerary is, is really valuable just because someone who is from out of state Oregon may not just want to like jump in their EV and drive all around the state, but having that assurance that they follow a particular loop or visit certain towns that they can charge their vehicle seems like a win-win in terms of assessing any anxieties they have and also directing them to those places? Yeah, I would say so. First of all, I would say we, we really look at focusing on the visitor experience. When we looked at where would we want to support EV charging stations, like, yeah, sure, a big box stores should all have EV charging stations and it's in their best interest to do so. Uh, but Travel Oregon didn't feel like that's where we needed to provide our focus support. It was going to be more like, downtown, a main street, possibly, you know, a hotel or a bed and breakfast or a key destination like a park or a winery, something like that. So we really wanted to create a situation where if people are traveling in their electric vehicle and they need to make a stop or this is the time for them to make a stop, they incorporate that into an opportunity to experience a destination, to go have lunch, walk around town. And not just have it be, you know, a period of waiting around and doing nothing. 
So we really see the pairing between putting charging stations near tourism facing businesses and assets. And I think that that is a key piece of designing an effective electric byway. This is a Colorado personal example, but last summer I went out to Buena Vista, which is maybe two hours or so from Denver. And I don't own an EV, but I, I saw a, a handful of EV charging stations in their downtown right near some breweries and restaurants and a really pretty walking area along the river. And I was just thinking like, man, if I could drive an EV from Denver all the way out here and know that I could charge a vehicle, I'm sure that I would spend plenty of pocket change with these businesses and have a really nice time while doing it. So certainly seems like a good way to leverage some of those, those assets and businesses in those communities. Yeah, you need to pair the infrastructure with the marketing. And that's where, as I talked about, the kind of development cycle for us is, you know, if we're supporting the infrastructure going in, we also want to build the marketing side. So for that community that has a couple charging stations, they need to really plug that as part of their marketing. And, you know, even if it's a small number of people who arrive by EVs, it also puts forward, what are you about? What are you prioritizing? And if you're talking about electric charging stations, as maybe it's not your front tagline, but it's part of your overall marketing, then, then that also gives a, a signal to people the kinds of things that you are about as a community. And that was with the with different wineries or different locations that we invested in, that became part of their pitch. So it, it really was, hey, come here and you can charge your EV, but this is also part of our bigger sustainability initiative or how we're giving back to the community. And I think that from a tourism standpoint, People want to go and see great things, but they really want to hear the story. They want to get the full picture and they want to support things that are within their value system. So if they care about sustainability, they care about climate, they may be more likely to go to a, a place that has that offering. There are numerous countries that in general value these kinds of amenities, I guess you can call them, or principles. And especially from the international standpoint, there's a strong desire to be able to travel around in electric vehicles. Unfortunately, at least the last that we checked, there weren't rental car opportunities from the major rental cars. There were some small rental services, but where you could rent an electric vehicle. So that's something that we were interested in trying to figure out how to close that gap. And maybe maybe you know more about that and could share with me, you know, any examples on that. But we had really felt like, especially for like a European market, if there was the ability for those folks to rent electric vehicles and take a trip on the byways, that that would be a competitive advantage for Oregon to be able to offer that. And we haven't been able to put that together yet. I know the Colorado Tourism Office was working to create something similar for the international market and potentially focused on the ski market just in that someone may be able to fly into Denver International Airport and rent a vehicle and drive that up to the mountains of Colorado on a single charge. And then in a lot of those communities, there is relatively robust EV charging infrastructure. And so that partnership would enable an international visitor to have essentially a, a sustainable vacation in line with their current practices and travel priorities. So that's one example that I know of that you all can look to. Yeah, and I think that you're hitting on an important point as well is, especially in large destinations that have, like like in Colorado, Utah, some other destinations that 
have major attractions where people may also just jump on a bus. So you could fly into the Denver and just jump on a bus and get to a ski resort if those destinations also had potentially electric vehicle options from a mass transportation standpoint, I also think that that would be appealing. Either way, getting on a bus is going to be more efficient than driving your own vehicle, but that's another potential way for electric vehicles to to play a role in people's trips. Definitely. So Scott, I want to go back to one point that you mentioned earlier, which was just about Travel Oregon's partnership with Forth related to an EV charger rebate program for tourism-oriented business. So could you tell us what sorts of businesses have participated in the program and you know, if there are any challenges or benefits that you all encountered while administering it? Particularly one of the places that I would encourage from a partnership standpoint between the tourism industry and private businesses, I mean, the two places I would say is one are lodging properties and the other are wineries. I also mentioned downtowns and main streets, which I like a lot. And more and more downtowns and main streets have EV charging parking. But some of the like more wineries and places that are out there a little farther away off the beaten track, those places can have the resource to partner with you to set up an EV charger. And a rebate may be the thing that makes a difference in getting it going. So those are some of the places where we have invested in. It's not a complete list. And, you know, I would say from the standpoint of challenges, one of them is just the paperwork that's part of that process. So as a tourism agency, the easier you can make it for the private businesses to be part of like a rebate program that may include other state agencies or either other federal agencies, that's going to be really helpful. Well, Scott, this has been a really great discussion. And just want to end on this one final point which is if you were to give a piece of advice to any other Western states that are seeking to leverage EVs for tourism and economic development purposes, what would that advice be? I would say, uh, first of all, you do want to recognize that climate is a real issue and that tourism should work to get its arms around this issue. We're not an extractive industry, but there's definitely a fair amount of road tripping and, and flying in planes. And so probably our primary like impact is around the use of fossil fuels. And so being able to deal with and and participate in electrification, I think is a really good way to get your arms around the climate issue. I also think from a strategy standpoint, tourism professionals do a lot of sales. And as part of that, you package up opportunities and, and you serve as a partner to package. And I would say, use your sales hat, try and package up opportunities that exist between state agencies, nonprofit organizations, other kinds of offerings, package those up so that your tourism businesses and partners can participate and in those locations where it's going to be most successful. And then finally, once you have that real tourism product, make sure you turn it into tangible marketing opportunities, stories, and and even potentially sellable products to the consumer because we've found that, that there is a strong desire and demand for sustainability uh, offerings and messages. So those are a couple of my wrap-up tips that I would, I would recommend for other tourism agencies. Thanks, Scott. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, renting an EV in Oregon one day and, and driving to that barbecue restaurant that you mentioned and plugging in. That sounds like a great way to travel around the state and get some good local fare at the same time. So, Scott, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. 
Yeah, thank you, Kevin. And when you make that trip, give me a call. I'll jump in and we'll uh, grab a beer together and some barbecue. Appreciate Perfect. it. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, bye. Great. Well, we just heard from Scott Bricker at Travel Oregon. And now for our second interview, we're going to hear from Jim Chen, who is the VP of Public Policy at Rivian. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Great. Let's just start by getting to know you a little bit better. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and Rivian and how you came to work there? Sure. So I've been with Rivian a little over two and a half years, been in the electric vehicle space for about a decade now, or a little over a decade, and actually have been in the environment and vehicle regulatory space for close to 30 years now. Spent a couple more years at two other EV startups and realized that I wanted to do something that was a natural confluence of what I was doing in the EVA space and some of my own personal passions as a truck enthusiast and an outdoorsman. So that led me to Rivian. So Rivian is an independent U.S. company founded in 2009 by R.J. Scaringe, PhD mechanical engineer out of MIT, who wanted to look at trucks and SUVs in a new way to capitalize on the new technology of lithium-ion battery energy storage technology and electric motors to produce really compelling trucks and SUVs. So our first set of vehicles, the R1T pickup and the R1S SUV will be released later this year. And these vehicles will have four electric motors, a motor at each wheel, have battery capability up to 400 miles of range and incredible features that will surpass even the incumbent technology of gas powered vehicles. I'm super excited about what we're doing. And frankly, the entire corporate slogan of keeping the world adventurous forever really spoke to me. And there's a lot to unpack about that, but basically it is about supplanting the most polluting vehicles on our roads, trucks and SUVs with zero emission vehicles that are made in the United States that were iterated, developed, and will be produced by Americans for Americans. And so that's really what makes me excited about what we're doing. And then the other part of this, of course, is the forever part. Moving towards a more sustainable future where we're taking stewardship of, of our lands, of our outdoor atmospheres, of the air and the water that we all, frankly, need to survive and doing something positive while still being able to enjoy those outdoor spaces and do so in a responsible way. That's great, Jim. Sounds like a pretty perfect confluence of work experience and, and personal priorities. And I think a lot of citizens and governors in the West share your, your priorities related to land and water and air stewardship. So we did just hear from Scott at Travel Oregon about some of the exciting EV charging partnerships that Travel Oregon's been working on. And I've heard in the news that Rivian has announced some pretty exciting news with Colorado State Parks. I was hoping that you could tell our listeners a little bit more about that and why Rivian elected to enter into a partnership with a public agency like that. Sure, happy to. So Colorado, first and foremost, is a great state for electric vehicles and, and frankly, for the future. Colorado recognized early on the need to get behind this American-invented technology, by the way, being led by exciting U.S. companies. So we went in and met with the Speaker of the House. We met with lead Senator Chris Hansen. We met with the governor. And we said, how can we really open up Colorado to electric vehicles? And so we helped support and push forward a bill 
that would allow EV manufacturers who did not use franchise dealers to be able to sell those vehicles directly. And we had a lot of support from environmentalists. We had support from free market proponents. And we had support from Tesla because Tesla certainly wanted to see more EVs on the road as well, recognizing that no one company was going to do this alone. So this kind of really laid the groundwork for the Colorado State Parks Project, which arose very organically in response to a simple question. Now that we've gotten some of these barriers knocked down on how consumers get access to EVs, how do we make it easy for EV owners to actually charge at their favorite public lands? And this whole recharge where you recharge project was part of a partnership between us and the Colorado Department of Natural Resources. So specifically, Rivian is committed to installing at least two state-of-the-art 11.5 kilowatt level two chargers at up to 50 state park locations. Rivian will pay for their installation and maintenance fee for up to 25 years. So this project comes at no cost to the taxpayer. And given the overlap between our adventure vehicles and the interest from our drivers to be charging while they're hiking out in public lands and exploring things, or maybe skiing in Copper or Winter Park, our work with Colorado is just the beginning. We've also had a lot of interest from other state park departments about this project, and we're actually exploring similar partnerships in other states. Because at the end of the day, we're always looking at ways to help EV drivers not only reduce air pollution and fossil fuel consumption, but be able to do so while enjoying the outdoors and being able to get a recharge for their vehicles while they're out doing that. Just the fact that traditional trucks and SUVs across the country just hold this sort of ideal American culture and they're a really big economic driver and cultural driver. I think that Rivian is interesting in that you're trying to enter that cultural barrier of sorts with EVs. And so I was just hoping you could talk a little bit about that and then maybe the applicability of EVs in the West. And if you as a company are focusing any of your efforts out here, given some of those use cases that I mentioned. That's a great point about the cultural importance of pickup trucks and SUVs. And it's certainly foundational to our brand and ethos as a company. In fact, Rivian is devoted to all electric trucks. Uh, we're not looking at building sports cars or sedans. This is going to be about trucks and SUVs and by certain extension, medium-duty delivery trucks as we're doing this with our partners at Amazon. And we realized that we weren't going to address electrification of the U.S. fleet unless we tackled the most popular vehicles out there. And that is, frankly, trucks and SUVs. And it's over 50% of the new vehicle sales year over year. On top of that, this segment of vehicles is the most polluting. So they are the ones that have the highest emission profiles and the lowest efficiency. So why not look at electrification of this segment, especially when we're looking to aspire to keep the world adventurous forever? And what's really interesting for me is that over 70% of our pre-order customers are first-time EV buyers. These aren't folks that are coming from a Bolt or a Tesla to purchase their EV. We certainly have uh, our share of those, but over 70% are first-time EV buyers. So we really are appealing to an entirely new segment of the market, which we think is just exciting. That is really exciting. And Jim, just so you know, we did host a podcast episode a, a couple months ago about EVs in rural areas. And one of the ideas we talked about with some of the applicability is just that, let's say you work on a, a ranch or some kind of farming operation, whatever it may be, 
there might be some benefits for predicting your fueling costs on a regular basis with electricity versus some of the up and down swings that you can get with diesel or, or gasoline or whatever it may be. So there may be a bit of an economic and, and just practicality incentive there for some of the rural industries that are common out here in the West. The next area I want to dig into with you is just all about vehicle manufacturing and some of the economic considerations there. And just if there are particular challenges or opportunities that as an EV manufacturer that you face, and this is certainly a, a bit of a priority of the Biden administration. So would love to hear how some of those issues are intersecting for you. Yeah, on the manufacturing side, this is an absolute opportune time for us to be doing what we're doing in the United States. I mentioned early on that Rivian, as an independent U.S. company, is devoted to pursuing this mission in the United States. This means not just designing and iterating vehicles just to ship manufacturing overseas, but to do that right here in the United States. And so with our reopened factory in normal Illinois, we're really excited about what we're bringing. So the opportunities are there. And that factory, by the way, was a former Mitsubishi facility shut down in 2016 through a phase out over time. We purchased that and started rehiring in 2017. So a great opportunity to bring state-of-the-art manufacturing, clean manufacturing to areas of the country where they had manufacturing, traditional manufacturing, but really being able to help support the economy of these local areas. We're really looking at that kind of leverage for how we do this. And by the way, this doesn't apply to just simply our normal Illinois factory. I mean, this also goes downstream to suppliers as well. We're trying to onshore as much of the supply chain as possible, not just because it's, it's the right thing to do, which it is, but there are opportunity costs there as well. So trying to do more and more of that in the United States. We have nearly 4,000 workers employed at our plant in Normal, Illinois. And many of those are the former Mitsubishi workers who worked at that plant for decades before it was decommissioned. We also have facilities in Michigan where we're devoted to our operations there, operations in Arizona and operations, and that's a test track facility, and operations in California, both northern and southern. Our EV's roadmap initiative has looked at a lot of business case questions related to EV charging infrastructure, oftentimes in rural areas. And I just wanted to, to give that back to you if there are any other business case ancillary issues, either on the, the charging infrastructure side or on the vehicle manufacturing side that you wanted to discuss in terms of where you all make, market, and sell your vehicles. The single most important issue for a company like ours is simply that, the ability to sell our cars directly to customers, to consumers. There is a state-by-state -state patchwork of laws that, you know, in one state we're allowed to sell, in another state we're not allowed to sell. I mean, again, going back to history, the whole reason behind those original franchise laws was very laudable. And that's when you had a franchise dealership that was oftentimes a very small family-run business where they sunk in their entire life savings of, of several hundred to a million dollars. And you didn't want a manufacturer like a GM coming in and driving them out of business. But you fast forward to today, and those small mom and pops are now, you know, multi-million, sometimes billion-dollar enterprises that are just huge conglomerates. And so there is no longer that unlevel playing field. And it's interesting that every other industry out there, whether it's the hotel hospitality industry, the food service industry or even the technology industry, they have both franchise 
and corporate owned locations, which seem to get along perfectly. The example that I like to point to is if you think about the iPhone and Apple, Apple freely sells them both from the Apple stores and from Walmarts and Best Buys, okay? And there is plenty of reasons for doing both. Uh, and there should be no reason why that can't happen with vehicles today. We have to look at new ways where consumers have the choice of how they want to purchase a vehicle. There is no way we get to New York's goals of what is it, nearly 100% EVs by 2050 or Connecticut's goals of a certain number of vehicles by 2035 under our current system. We have to open up the marketplace. And I'm not saying this needs to be a free fall. There is room for appropriate regulation, but that appropriate regulations is licensing not just franchise dealers, but allowing manufacturers to be licensed as well to sell direct, letting the consumers decide from there. And, and by the way, I wanna give a little bit of a shout out here for the Western states, because not only Colorado, but if you look at the recent trend, Colorado opened up in 2020, Utah opened up to this business model in 2018. Wyoming opened up to this business model in 2017. So, you know, the Western states, I have to, to hand it to them, are really leading the way there, Kevin. And, and it's your home states that are, are making it happen. Well, that's what we like to hear. We, uh, we find that on a lot of issues that the Western states are identifying, you know, bipartisan pragmatic solutions across land management, economic development, some thorny policy issues. So that's another good example. Jim, this has been a really entertaining conversation for me. Thank you so much for being a part of this discussion today, but um, Oregon Governor Brown's Electric Vehicles Roadmap Initiative in general. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West. Be sure to join us for the next episode of the Electric Vehicles Roadmap series in which Governor Brown herself will discuss the initiative and the future of EVs in the West. Finally, WGA would like to thank Scott Bricker and Jim Chen for sharing their expertise on the impact of EV production and charging infrastructure deployment on economic development in the West. Happy trails, everyone.